if we don't know that up front, then we're not going to build for it now, which means we have to go back and rework and re-architect things. We build what we need for right now. Driving with the mindset of, I know where I want to go, and I'm taking steps that take me towards that target state where, yes, I can scale this. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Chris Moody. I'm very excited today to have Dora Busius on Data Dilemmas, Building Bridges Between Sales, Marketing, and Metrics. It's a topic I'm very passionate about, but let's tell you a little bit about Dora first. So Dora is a business data and technology strategic thought leader and practitioner. She has deep domain expertise in data and analytics, enterprise architecture, digital transformation, and is very familiar with walking the line between business and IT and driving change at global organizations, topic we talk about a bunch. So she's a passionate, frequent speaker on data, organizational culture, transformational leadership, and a huge advocate for women in tech, and was recognized on the Global Data Power Women list of 2023. So we know that you're a sought-out mentoring coach for very senior career professionals who are doing amazing work at helping them continue to grow your own advisory boards and FinServe, insurance, retail, education, and healthcare. And you have a great career that we're going to dive into. So thanks so much for the time, Dora. Really excited to have you on the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. And I have to tell you, I love the name of the podcast, Sunny Side Up. It's the way that I like my do every time I go to a diner or something. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining. Yeah, start the day out with the podcast. You know, have your eggs, have your coffee, have your podcast. So there you go. Of course. Well, you've spent nearly 29 years in tech across a lot of different roles. So could you tell us about that experience and any journey insights that you'd like to share with our, our audience here? Sure. Thanks. Yes. Let me give you a bit of a background. So 29 years, typically actually rounded up to 30. I've been in IT the entire time, but to be honest, I think of myself as a business leader, first and foremost, I was lucky enough, I think. Early on to understand, well, first of all, about data, I've worked with data a lot from the very beginning, and I understood early on that data is just very important. Hey, what are we basing our decisions on? So in my 30 years, I've had a lot of data roles, but also I've been a software engineer. I actually started as a COBOL mainframe programmer. Then I got into rapid application development. That was the eighth thing in the 90s. Did solution architecture. 20 or so years I've been doing enterprise architecture, so that's business and data and solution. Data, again, has always been there. Currently, I'm uh, driving uh, data strategy and architecture for Striker, which it's a wonderful organization in the medtech industry, the leader in medtech. I, I do want to say, however, everything I say is on behalf of myself, not on behalf of the company. And let's see, I think you mentioned that in the 29 or 30 years exposure to retail early on, but also finance. I spent about nine plus years with G Capital, insurance, healthcare, a bit of education, which is both good and bad. You know, it's good to get exposure to many different things. And it also shows me what's transferable from the skills that we bring from the data and technology perspective. And that is from the perspective of, okay, really need to figure out how to come up to speed better quickly, being exposed to a more business other times that I did. 
That's awesome. I love that. And I love the transferable experience that you talked about too. I, I was a GE for a bit. And one trap that I fell into as a content creator was thinking automotive wants to know all about automotive and manufacturing wants all about manufacturing. But many times we're working with the best companies in the world in automotive or in manufacturing. They'd actually like to learn what others are doing. What could we pull into our vertical? So I think that gives you a very unique perspective. Absolutely. I think so too. Well, a lot of the folks who listen are dealing with data challenges every single day. So it's, is our data high quality? Is it in the right place? Is it the same in all the different places? So you've been helping a lot of organizations to understand the challenges and goals of building a data management function from the ground up. Could you share some of those ones? Oh, so challenges and goals. Well, if I, if I take a step back and I think in terms of the goals and as I'm driving data strategy for me, if I were to put it in very simple words, it's about, and you alluded to it, right? How can I get to the right data? Can I trust it? Is it the right data? Can I get to it quickly? So from an operational perspective, how agile are we with our data operations, right? And then also worry about scale and having had a long history, a long background in architecture and enterprise architecture. So that doesn't just cover business data, solution and technology, but also thinking of things and, and twin. So can we scale? So those are the goals for me. Can I get to it? Is it the correct data, the tr trusted data? Can I get to it quickly? Can I scale? Now that AI is all the talk these days, that's all great. I want to make sure that also we're not forgetting that, again, you need a good data foundation because garbage in, garbage out, I think still applies with AI, obviously ethics, bias. At scale, if we don't take care of it, those are kind of like the goals, what I'm thinking about myself. How can I get better at this? Challenges is that, well, it's not a simple thing. I think one of the biggest challenges is that thinking of it from the perspective of how do I manage my data? Not how do I process my data? Not how do I do technical pipelines and transfer data from source A to target B? That's not really, it's got its challenges, but those are easier to figure out, I think, working with the different technologies. The biggest challenge is how do I better manage my data? And to do that, it means that we really have to come work together, put things in context, understand the data within the business context. What am I trying to use it for? Who else will be impacted? Again, if we take a step back and we'll look at the end-to-end process, hey, downstream, there's always downstream impact. Who else gets impacted even though we're trying to build something right here for this very finite scope? So the challenge, if I were to put it in a different aspect is, how do we shift from being project-minded to being product-minded and thinking of it holistically? The challenge is also that in order to do that, we need to change the ways that we'll be used to working. So working together means we've got to break down both silos where every team would just go and do their own thing and it's all about speed. So how do we balance, because speed is important, but how do we balance that speed for business with making sure that we're not putting our organization at risk, right? And making sure that what we build is a resilient solution. So a little bit at that, I mean, more things, if we go further down detail, but a high level, I would think is, is that. And it's complex. There's a lot of different areas to it. So getting everybody on the same page, speaking the same language, going towards common goals and 
Prioritizing of the right things, that's also a challenge. There you go. Speaking about it, that's another challenge. Prioritizing of the right things because everybody needs data and good data. And changing those habits where we do put some time and, and thought into how do we come together? Are we looking at the right data and how do we make it right? How do we manage it better? There's a lot there. I, I, I want to pull the thread on speed. I, I think, number one, we, we need the right data in the right places so it's believable. We can make the right decisions. We're using it as an assistant to any decision we're trying to make. It should always be data-driven. But how do you balance some of the immediate needs that folks may have with projects that may require multiple years, tons of different teams to pull it all in together? How do you strike that balance in an organization to help them understand what they can do right away and what needs to take more time when everyone wants everything yesterday? Yes. So I think there's a misperception out there, especially when we're talking about, hey, let's think about this and understand what we need to do. And the misperception is that people think that we're going to talk to everyone, understand every little nuance and build everything for everybody. But that's not the case. For me, being curious and asking the question, let's say, okay, we have this need right now. Obviously, if there is a very urgent reason, there is regulation, there is you know, a a business stopping, right? And we need to do something. We'll do something quickly. Absolutely. However, the other thing, as we're doing something quickly for something very urgent is don't just go design and build something without really asking the question, hey, is anyone else going to leverage this outside of the scope of my project? Again, how do I take a step back and think as a product, what else will use this? Maybe we don't build this right now, but maybe three, four steps down the end-to-end process flow, we're going to do analytics on the data that we capture here. Or maybe some of the analytics we're trying to do, I use this example, for example, maybe we need to know, I don't know, the diversity indicator of our suppliers for whatever reason. Well, if we don't know that upfront, then we're not going to build for it now, which means we have to go back and build it in later, which this is a simple example. Sometimes it might be more complex, would really what it means is that we have to go back and rework and re-architect things. So to balance that would be, hey, high enough level, let's understand, are there any other bigger needs? And then if we have a target state, number one, we don't build everything all at once. We build what we need for right now. And even if we cannot build target state right from phase one, drive it with a mindset of, I know where I want to go because I've taken the time to understand the implications and I'm taking steps that take me towards that target state in a measured, phased out way, then that's good. I'm still helping with the speed because I am building and helping my business right now, but I know I'm doing it in a methodical way that's going to bring me closer to a state where, yes, I can scale this. Or as the organization grows, say through MA, or as the industry changes out there and, you know, technology changes and processes, you know, things happening in the microeconomy of the world or new business models come up and things can hit us from when we don't expect them, we can flex and we can scale, right? So I think that's one way it has a lot to do with the mindset really of Let's just start as simple as asking the question, have I considered all the major parts, 
right? Then build for what I need and go in a phase way towards that target. Otherwise, we don't know where we're going, right? We're building only for now, and that may be quick. Really perceived so, because if six months or 12 months afterwards, we realize, oh, oh, we can't do that because we didn't think about it and we go back, well, I went really quicker because now we have to spend more money and time and effort to go back and redo. So I think it's a fallacy to say, oh, I'm going faster if I just go build. You know, I'll use this example here, Chris, if I may, because I think this helps put it in perspective. If I wanted to build a house and let's say I just need the ground floor this year, right? But I know that a year, next year, I'm going to need to put a second floor because, I don't know, my kids are at college are going to come stay with me, for example. Okay, I'm not going to build both floors right now. But I know, I've asked the question, I thought about it. So how big my foundation might change? Where I place the plumbing in the walls might change because having a roof versus having a second floor. And I know, oh, I need to put the plumbing here because I'm going to place a bathroom over this place. So let me, let me design the plumbing, the electricity, whatever, this way. I'll build my second floor next year. But at least I'm setting it up in a way that it can scale to the second floor next year. And it's actually going to be more economical, more feasible, faster, really, for the overall thing. And still building for what I need right now. I love that. It's such a good example, too, because we can, we can see it lining up. And you hit on breaking down silos, kind of shared definition of success, and speed, and some of the mistakes you can make in the total pursuit of speed, which... You know, candidly, we see a lot of teams where sales may have one version of success and marketing may have another version of success, and they're trying to pursue them both quickly, and they don't always take time to align. So if, if we focus on the context of sales and marketing alignment, what do you see as some of the key challenges of thinking about what is the, the shared definition of success and how do we work with different data and different systems? Well, I think you kind of said it, actually. It starts with some very, very basic best practices. Get the right folks together to really agree what are our common goals and primarily on what are our success measures. Because if marketing has their own set and sales has their own set and operations has their own set, then we're not going towards common goals. Not only do they have to be common, they have to be commonly understood. They have to be consistent, in other words, but also understood the same. And we agree that we're all going towards that. And then we have the other thing, too, as we're working on this, is making sure that we have clear roles and expectations of how we're going to work together to get there, which could mean, let's say, sales and marketing, that mm -hmm. we have different initiatives. But we're one team, right? We're sales and marketing they're there to support each other. They are, as an organization, we want to go forward. So even if we have different initiatives, especially when it comes to data, we end up working with a lot of the same data, like coordinate those initiatives. And, and maybe when we coordinate and we orchestrate these things, we're perhaps investing on here, hey, let's do this thing here in marketing first. That's actually going to help feed what we're trying to do with sales, right? So it's kind of like knowing the right hand knows what the left hand is doing kind of a thing. So have those common goals. Make sure that we specifically say, here's what success means. We all agree and we measure ourselves and we incentivize our teams towards those goals. 
And that does start from the top. I mean, top bottom, top down, bottoms up, it really both ways need to be there. But I think incentivizing the teams, because obviously this is not a one or two people or five people. Usually these initiatives take many different people across the functions and across the teams. So how do we make sure that we do march towards common goals or incentives coming to play, which means we start from the beginning. Here's what we're going for. Here's how we're going to measure ourselves to keep us on track, that we are working on the right things. And then, yep, we're incentivizing our folks to make sure that we're working together. So really, it comes down to the challenges or or how to get past those challenges, I think. It's really very foundational. Best practices around management and, and leadership. So that's the other thing. Having that culture of working together, right? And having what I call empathetic leadership where we respect sales inspects what marketing brings to the table and and not to pick on marketing and sales, or I can also speak of that in terms of business respects where that technology brings to the table and technology, IT, or data teams respect what business brings to the table. We have that clarity of roles and responsibilities and expectations, and we work together uh, in a way that, you know, we, we know how to move forward. I love that. So many questions I wanted to ask you answered, and it's so true, though. Everything you said is true. I mean, we, just so you know, we survey this, and this was not shared with you ahead of time, but we survey the C-suite on sales and marketing alignment and try to understand what the challenges are. Number one is always measuring different metrics. So it is that my joke for years has been marketing hits a marketing qualified lead goal. It goes to the bar and celebrates and then sales misses the revenue target, right? I've been marketing, so I pick more on marketing than sales method of alignment, right? But then what are the other top challenges? It's different data and different systems. Yeah. So it, it's a pervasive issue. Both of those things are, I mean, you think about the tech stack, marketing has always had a big tech stack. Sales, the tech stack has gotten bigger over the last five years. They're actually controlling more of the budget. So for the organizations that may not have that perfect alignment or the culture of collaboration and working together and finding shared success, what are some of the baby steps if there might be Westerners where they're thinking, yeah, we've tried that. These are difficult personalities. Like we, we can't change the compensation structure all things we should do, but what would you do in situations where there may be some folks resistant to change? So in my experience, resistance to change is there. That's not something we can skip over, but also we can't skip over change itself because to your point, what this means is we have to come and work together. And the thing is with embracing, so embracing the change on a personal level, each one of us, I think we need to realize that Really, when we work together, we are going farther together, which means that if we do well, individual are doing well as well, right? So I think it's just a matter of embracing change. You just can't skip over it. It's kind of like sometimes I visualize this. The train is going to move whether, whether you get on it or not. Change is going to happen. Like they say, it's the only constant. So let's just embrace that. But here's what I'm going to say. I'm gonna, you, you mentioned culture too. And I think this is something where top-down needs to happen. I mean, we, first of all, all of us, I consider each one of us as being a leader in our own right. Because whatever we say, whatever we do, how we work with other folks, how open we are to working together and, you know, other folks are seeing us, you know, we all have 
that opportunity for how we carry ourselves. Really push back or say, hey, let's put our heads together. And yes, maybe there's not big infrastructure, big frameworks, big people helping us to work together. But you and I, while we're doing this, while these three, four, five people on this project, how can we make this pull our our forces and I, you know, together, put our heads together to do a better job, you know, as towards those common goals. So I think we all have the opportunity to do that. Other than that, what I would say is that there needs to be intention behind the culture and behind driving change. So if I were to just take a step back from a leadership perspective right now, especially if the culture has been different in the organization and everybody's used to doing their own thing, there's a lot of awareness here to raise. Just like there is a lot of awareness to raise from, I have a big data background, you know, the whole data leadership, data fluency that we're talking about, whereas the same thing with culture and working together. And this takes time, it takes effort, it takes investment. But the thing is, when we do invest in that, there's uh, studies out there that have some metrics, of, don't recall the time of my head right now, specific metrics, but there are studies out there that say, hey, well, we do that. And there's books that have been written about it as well. It actually has an economic, it's a business case to it, you know, with economic benefits to it as well. But it's not just going to happen by itself, nor is it trivial. So making it a very intentional effort that we're going to shape our culture in a way where we are collaborative and we are transparent and we are working towards the common goals, that needs to happen. And I think that needs executive support, you know, it needs to be an initiative, I think, top down. At the same time, each one of us just embracing the change and saying, you know what helps in my experience is saying, not what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? And if we look at it as to what can I do to help you, right, while we're working on this project, and we all do this for each other, really, we're, we're putting down the table and we're collaborating. And it's not one person against everybody. It's all together for common goals and we're actually going further. I'm trying to wrap my head around so many intricacies with getting everything together for data, to have the the perfect infrastructure with all of the high emotional intelligence, touchy-feely personality and communication traits, right? Sometimes we may make the assumption that those more into data are telling data-driven stories and not as tapped into emotional relationship building, some of those things. Like how, how do you think folks should marry the two if they over-index on one side, where if they're too into the data and not as into the relationships or more into the personal relationships, the business relationships, and not trusting the data quite as much? How do you marry the two? Because they fill different brain sides, right? They do. So let's, if we talk a little bit more practical for the data first, and then we'll get to that as well. I mean, for the data to get better, for the data for us to start speaking the common language, you know, data governance, data management has a lot to do with it. And practically speaking, there are very proven ways, best practices for how to actually, in practice, apply some of the data governance best practices. So again, we get to that, speaking the same language, the quality of the data goes up. So you're now looking at the data in the system and that system, they're totally different. But again, there is very proven ways for how to do that. We can speak about that and we can go deep about that, right? So I would say bring in, make it again an intentional, in, in, you know, an intentional effort, bring in the right folks that have the right skills that can help the organization with 
here's a way to go about it in practice. Here's templates that we can use. Here's processes that we can put in place. Here's, you know, how we can look at the data and, and work together, right? So we can do all of that. I would say that, and I've seen this being in the data and technology space, right? I think one of one of the uh, mistakes perhaps that we make is that, hey, if we're really good at our craft, which we, that's for me, it's stable stakes, right? If we're really good on the technical part, on the data part, I don't need all these other things. Ah, those are soft skills, you know, they're, in essence, those soft skills are really the harder ones to master. But here's what I'm going to say about that. I think it's important to understand that while we're looking at the nuts and the bolts and we're working with the data itself and everything, a couple of things. Number one, we need to understand with business context. To understand within business context, we need to have conversations with the business, be very curious, ask questions to understand the functional part of it, right? So realizing that when we do that, it actually helps us, you know, run the implementation. I think that's important. Realizing that we need to take time to invest in ourselves with communication skills so that we can work better with our functional counterparts to make sure that we are understanding, designing, and building more resilient solutions. That's important. One of the things that I've seen over my years, and you know, I didn't get this myself from the very beginning, but if I look back at 29 years, it was probably a third in or so. You know, when I realized that I can be working on something and I can be the best on this thing, I'm a technical person, you know, and I'm a data person. But no matter how great work I do, if I don't know how to communicate about it in terms that other folks understand, like what's in it for that, which means that if I speak to an operations person, I try to bring up examples that resonate with them. If I speak to a marketing person, I try ahead of time to learn enough about that function and that person's day-to-day -day life, work life, to bring relevant examples. That way, I can tell a better story. So I don't know to your question that there is an easy way. I think it starts with understanding and respecting that everybody has something to bring to the table. So if you're a very technical person, don't underestimate the value that the folks from the business you know, can bring to the table and say, oh, they don't understand the technology stuff. This is really good. On the other hand, if I'm a functional business person, I would say, even if I'm a power user, well, no, there's a lot of expertise and good practices that are really there to help our organization, right? So respect that as well. The thing is, how do we work together? But to do that, we all need to invest in that, you know, working together, the collaboration and communication, because it starts from there. Am I listening to what you're saying? so that I can actually understand and ask you curious questions actively in the conversation as we're having it versus me thinking, oh, but I want to tell you about this, you know, this script that I did, this call that I wrote, this great technology, you know, tool that I built, and I'm not really listening to you, right? Because when I listen to you, then I can pull in an example that can highlight a feature that will help you but you're going to understand and you're going to listen to what I'm saying when I'm able to relate to you. So this is not an easy thing to do, but what I would say is, first of all, realize that those types of skills help us move forward, especially if we're on the technical and data side. And vice versa, just realize that, hey, take the time to listen, take the time to understand, take the time to be curious. What can I learn from each other? How can I help you? 
And in my experience, that helps us really reach those outcomes that are more resilient faster, really, because we're not just going into spinning cycles there, trying to figure out who does what and what we're trying to do here and not understanding each other. That's great. That's great. It's certainly along the lines of bring your whole self to work and be yourself and get to know people and all, all the things we know we should do, right? But a great reminder to do that. You know, trust, I mean, to, to communicate, to collaborate with someone, to make it easier. Let's say if you and I were working on a project, Chris, if we had a relationship where we trusted, respected each other, but that takes time to build. I think next time I come with an ask to you, you're probably going to, we've got that, that port built, right? You're probably going to say, okay, I get it. And I trust you, Dora, let's go do it. Now, to get to that point, right? That means that we had to put the time to really build that rapport, right? But you build a rapport when you are practicing these types of, of, of skills and techniques, which is where, hey, how can I help you? Let me really listen to what it is that you're saying so that I can help you. So it's always about the other person versus about me. Like put egos aside, work transparently and collaboratively. I mean, it really is as simple as that, but it is so hard in execution because I think most of us, one, we haven't realized how important, how impactful that is, especially if you come from the technical or, or data side, right? And number two, throughout our, our lives, right? I mean, we're getting, even as we go through elementary, through higher education, everything, we're getting taught about everything, like with science, with tech, with this, the other, but how much education really are we getting from early, the formative years on the communication, the impact of communication? So I think a lot of us realize that later in life, some of us really later in life. So I would say, number one, we got to realize that we do it. And number two, we have to invest in ourselves to build up that emotional intelligence so that we can better work with others, which actually, ironically, helps our own careers and what we bring to the value that we bring to the workplace. Totally, totally. Right. Well, Dora, that was a perfect segue. I was going to ask you about some of the books on your bookshelf potentially, but we always ask a few questions when we close out the show to understand what you're reading, what you recommended. It may be along the lines of emotional intelligence. It may be along the lines of data. But the first question, is there a book, blog, newsletter, website, or video that you think our, our listeners should definitely check out? Okay, so I don't have one. I have many and I pick and choose, you know, I usually skim and then whatever gets my attention. So, and it is on topics of data. It is on topics of AI, especially uh, as the technology changes. It is on topics of emotional intelligence and communication. And I mean, on data, I go to dataverse.com. I listen to, say, shows like Lights and Data or the Data Chief, you know, different podcasts out there. I've been on a few myself, you know, The Rabbit Show, whatever. There's different ones out there. HBR articles, you know, it really, I'm, I have CIO dive, right? I've subscribed to so many different things over the years. And I do devote considerable time every week, really, to keep on learning on all of these topics. So those are some of the examples. There's plenty of resources out there if somebody really wants to. And then you see what, what resonates with you. There's different formats out there. Awesome. And we'll move from there to people you trust. So we'll follow the trust line. But are there any inspirational folks in the B2B space that you think should be on the show? 
So I can tell you, I mean, folks that would be comfortable being on the, on the show, say some of the folks that come to mind, we're mostly on the data and AI analytics and AI side of things. And also, Dara, for example, is a person that I would recommend. Maybe George Stern can from the lights on, on data shows. Dan Hughes, Daniel Hughes, and that I've worked with in the past, and he's brilliant in this space. I think those are some of the folks that I would recommend. Well, then the most important question, people will want to talk to you after they listen to this. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? LinkedIn. So I'm active on LinkedIn. I'm always commenting. And that's, yeah, that's the easiest and best way to get to me. Awesome. And that's actually how you were found for this show. It was LinkedIn content. So showing up in the feed. So great job on that. Thanks so much for your time, Dora. This is extremely helpful. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. And I would say if uh, there is any questions, people feel free to reach out and we can continue the conversation. I LinkedIn, I guess. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 